as Dan and I were talking about this week, the scripture that came up is the perfect Father's Day text as we return to John, the Gospel of John. This will be the third interview. Am I really loud or is it just me? Am I, maybe one of the speakers, something up there. I seem really loud. I'm loud, but you like it. Okay. For those of you who are hard of hearing, it's a great one. Um, this is the third interview. If you recall, when we first met Nick at night, Nicodemus, Jesus uh, is uh, approached by this religious leader of the day, this very distinguished Jewish man, one of the top guys in the community, to talk about being born again. And then that's the first interview. And then we've had several weeks where we've dealt with Fatina, the woman at the well that, that Jesus uh, talks to and offers her the, the living water. And then today we meet a man that uh, King James says he is a nobleman. In uh, more modern translations, it just will say something about a royal official or a, some sort of, um, some might even call him a minor type king, not, not as in the king or big king. But the Greek word that they get that from is basilikos. And uh, I shortened it to the word basil because I like to give everybody a name. I hate to talk about this guy as the royal, so I just called him basil. Um, there's a picture here of a basilica. Maybe. Got a picture? There you go. Anybody recognize that? Hmm. Very quiet. St. Peter's, thank you. St. Peter's uh, Basilica in Rome. Those of you who ever been to the Vatican City, my father and I went there. Let's put it this way. He was younger than I am now when we went there. And he had, dad's hair turned white earlier than mine, and on occasion, he might have used the Grecian formula, or whatever they were selling, never by a beautician, I'm sure, because that would have been, un, you know, that's almost like giving a knife and not giving a penny or a quarter or a dollar or whatever. Uh, so he did his own <clears throat> dye job before that trip to Italy, and it came out red. But it does, amazingly, as one time I dyed my hair here for one of the uh, trunk or treats, it changes your look. And constantly, as we were traveling together, people were wanting to know if I was his brother. And he loved that. He thought that was fabulous that uh, they would not know he was the dad. And any event, um, St. Peter's Basilica, it comes from that word, basilicos. And a basilica in the Roman Catholic tradition is any... Uh, sanctuary or church or structure that has been given special authorization to do uh, ceremonies, special ceremonies. So you might have a, a priest uh, ordained into the priesthood at a, at a basilica. Uh, in our own um, everyday living and in architecture, if you know anything about Roman architecture, typically a basilica has columns and then somewhere in an interior, a round or rotunda area. Uh, but they're known for like courthouses or public meeting spaces. But the true meaning of the word basilica or basilikos means to be connected to the king, to be belonged, belonging to the king. So this guy that I'm calling Basil, because that, if you, anybody in here named Basil, that means royal. So I'm just going to call him Basil the entire time. Please don't go from here and you know, some, see somebody this week and go, hey, you know, I, the preacher told us this guy's name is really Basil. It's not. I'm just using that for the sermon, okay? But for those of you who have already jumped to the conclusion of this sermon, we are to be connected to not just any king, but the king. The joy of knowing Jesus 
is the, the opportunity to be truly connected to the King, the King of Kings. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me please to uh, uh, John, the fourth chapter, start at verse 43, and we're going to call this a father's love. After two days, so he spent two days in uh, this, the area of Samaria with uh, Fatina's people. He left for Galilee. And in verse 44, my translation has it in parentheses. Some of you may not have the parentheses. But there is a reference to, um, I think it's Matthew 13 and Mark 6, where, you know, the verses that Jesus says, a prophet is without honor and except in his hometown. Uh, verse 44, uh, John writes, Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. So once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official, who I'm calling Basil, <laughs> whose son lay sick at Capernaum. That's about... 20-some-odd miles away. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Here's the, like, curveball from Jesus. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. So it's almost like he, he doesn't really condemn him, but it's not what you would think would come out of Jesus. Like, okay, let's go heal your son. It's like, why are you guys always about signs? Verse 49, the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. I love this verse. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when the son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. That's about 1 p.m. Then the father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judah Judah to Galilee, to Galilee, and that ties in with John uh, chapter two, verse eleven, where the turning water to wine becomes the first miraculous sign. So let's pray. Lord, we honor our fathers today, but each Sunday and every day of our lives, we should honor you as our heavenly Father for what you have done to us through your Son Christ Jesus, or done for us, because out of your great love for sinners such as I. You sent Christ Jesus to be a sacrifice for my sins. And that each one of us here, if we'll only profess our faith in him and confess our sins, you are so faithful to forgive and to wipe that slate clean, to fill us with your grace and your mercy, inspire us and fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might live and walk and breathe for the glory of Jesus. And I pray today in this hour that we honor earthly fathers we would do so by even honoring you the more, by saying thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us and for your love. Touch the hearts and minds of these who are here today, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Bible scholars love to debate how much John did or did not use the other, the synoptic gospels. You know, those, we've talked about this before, but just by way of a reminder, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered the synoptics. They are very similar. Uh, many commentators think that Mark was wit- written first, and then Matthew and Luke used perhaps Mark as some sort of support for what they were writing. John writes in a different style, but what he says here, for some, give a little bit of a, um, little bit of a hiccup. Well, is this story the same, or this healing event, is this the same as the centurion who Jesus encounters uh, in, the other go- in two of the other gospel accounts, in I believe it's Matthew 8 and Luke 7, um, where Jesus heals a centurion's servant or slave and doesn't even go there because the centurion says, you know, I'm a man of faith and, and uh, of obedience, and if you say uh, that my child or this servant or this slave is to be healed, he will be healed. So there's some similarities there. And then also that verse that I told you how it, it recaps what hasn't been said in John to this point, that a prophet is without honor except in his hometown. He makes that reference. I choose not to see that as a stumbling stone. I choose that to be another reason to believe and to understand that John the Beloved, the author of this gospel, has this intimate account and knowledge of Jesus. He knew that the, the city that we go to where we once changed water into wine, when you start saying, hey, there's no more free wine, and now I'm telling you, pick up your cross and follow me, they may not be as obedient as they once were. So I, I don't have any problem with these first couple verses, and I only bring them out for you so you understand the context of which they're written. So with that confidence that this is God's holy word and that Jesus has had yet another opportunity to show his power with this Basil's uh, son, I think this is a wonderful account of what God will do when you ask him to do something. Back in Cana, there was a man who heard that Jesus was back in town and desperate to find a healer, a doctor, the right prescription whatever it takes to keep his son from dying. And that becomes our first point, a desperate dad. Now, Basil, once again, that's my way of saying it, is so desperate that he makes the journey from Capernaum to Cana as quick as he can. Some, as I said, 20 to 22 miles. And I don't know how fast I could walk that or you could walk that or hike that. It probably would take you all day, eight plus hours or thereabouts. Now, the topography, if you know that area, I have never been to the Holy Land. That's a trip someday I'd like to do. But my understanding is the topography from Cana is about six, excuse me, 300 feet above sea level, those flyers. He's got to set the altimeter there. But he really wouldn't have to set it if he took off from Capernaum. It's about 600 feet below sea level. So that distance on the sheer drop is about a 900 feet elevation change. So bear that in mind because it it comes back to cause me to wrap around the axle a couple of times on how long it took him once Jesus said, go, your son has been healed, till we encounter the servants in a few verses later. Basil is obviously connected to the king. Um, Most commentators say that he was probably a servant of Herod Antipathus or Antipas. He is one of the sons of Herod the Great, 
He is the ruler of that area at the time in which Jesus' ministry takes place. It's prior to Jesus' a little prior to Jesus' birth till about 39, I think, A.D. And some scholars will even say that he was some sort of uh, nobleman that had his own small kingdom. Regardless, they'd like to say that he was a Gentile. And if you do that, it makes good preaching because in the first one, Jesus is revealing who he is to Nicodemus to the Jews. And in the second illustration, he is revealing himself to the Samaritans. And then if this third person was a Gentile, he's revealing himself to the Gentiles. Therefore, showing I am here to bring salvation to all. Regardless, we have a man who is desperate to bring healing or to find healing for his son. Look at verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Did you ever beg your parents for anything? For a pony? Your kids ever beg you for ponies? You probably had ponies. Yeah, yeah. Didn't have to beg them. If you got horses, maybe beg them for a Mustang, as in V8 Mustang or like that. Maybe you begged for a car. Maybe you begged for new curfews, right? Maybe you begged for money. Maybe you begged for forgiveness from your, with your parents. So put the hat on the, your other head. I guess turn your hat around. You only got one head. As a parent, have you ever begged God? Begged God for wisdom, for strength, for love, for grace, for forgiveness when your child has offended you? Have you ever begged for healing for a sick child? There are two words that in the Greek, and I know you guys don't really care so much about how I mispronounce them all, but there are two Greek words that are used for child in this context. One, or for son. Uios is a, is a word that, how many of you know, you've seen ichthus? Jesus Christ, God's son. Uios is that letter of an ichthus, okay? So, son. But this man, Basil, I'm calling him Basil, uses a different word, which is pation, when he refers to this son and later in between Jesus's, like giving him the Heisman for a second. He calls him a Greek word, which means my little boy. Please come and heal my little boy or he will die. So I think it's important to see the intimacy of this man who had so much. If he's a royal official, he's probably the wealthiest guy in that group. You know, could you imagine someone coming in here of state or federal recognition? I mean, whether it be a, a representative, a governor, or, or, or the president, or some ambassador for another place, and getting on his knees, and it doesn't say he got on his knees, but begging you for something. This man didn't care about reputation at this point. He did not mind being embarrassed because he was going to do anything to try to find a way for his son to be healed. Now, this request, as I said, is interrupted with Jesus saying, verse 48, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Well, 
There are a lot of biblical commentators on how to explain that. Is he truly saying, I wish you guys wouldn't come and follow me just because of what I can do, but because of who I am? Or is he giving, once again, some foreshadowing of the wonderful sign he will do, which is coming back from the dead? I mean, if you really want a miraculous sign, Jesus eventually gives the greatest one. He came back from the dead because of God saying, this is my son, that the death that death will not keep him in the tomb. He was victorious over death, and through our faith in him, we too will have a life everlasting with him. Fathers, I ask you today, as this man was willing to give up public image or embarrassment, is there something that you need to give up for the sake of your children? If you were at our midweek service at Refuel this week, which was a wonderful opportunity for you to come out, and I'll put it in that plug to have a great meal, to have some time of study and prayer, but uh, the speaker talked about the fact of how much time we each spend on our cell phones, and one of the church members in here, I'm looking to see, scanning, I won't look too hard to see if he's here, he showed me that his average daily screen time, those of you who have smartphones, you know, you can look up what your average screen time is, uh, Nicholas, my son is a middle school teacher, he said that one of the kids in his class showed 19 hours of daily screen time. One of our church members showed me he had 17 minutes of daily screen time. Regardless, that device is there to steal you away from everything else. And that was his challenge on this video study we had this week to say, take your smartphone and make it into a dumb phone. Make it a phone. Make it a phone. Oh, yeah, save the GPS if you need it. But truly pull out your Bible. You know, I'll keep it on there because i got my Bible app on there. Yeah, but how much more time do you have on solitaire or social media or whatever else than you do on your Bible? Just turn all that stuff off, he said, and you know, go back to a flip phone, which my mom and sister wish I would get them again. But we haven't done that. But how many of those things do you let rob your children of your time, fathers? Well, we live in desperate times, and I know desperate fathers are willing to risk anything for the sake of their children. So think about it this way. I was reading, I know anytime you say something of history, in fact, uh, I did this just yesterday. Uh, Emma, I can't even think what you, because I get on these YouTube squirrel hoes, and they know I just, I just start going around. Squirrel, who, who did I show that they didn't, oh, this is just for grips and grins, and I, I was not a history teacher, but you know I'm a history major, or I was, and I have a historian in the back there too. PT-109, if you're under 30, say what does that mean? PT-109. Anybody? Somebody back here did it? She knows? Say. Anybody ever heard of John Fitzgerald Kennedy? Yeah, that was the little uh, running boat he was on in World War II that was sunk, and he survived, and that's one of the reasons he had a back problem his whole life. But uh, we were watching a video clip, and they were like, never heard of that. Well, well, so if I say Ty Cobb, baseball, good, you're good. And I didn't ask you to say it if you're over 30 or under 30, but Ty Cobb is probably one of the best, well, used to be one of the best-known baseball players. Um, and they say when he got into a hitting slump, can't imagine one of the best players in the world getting a hitting slump, but he got into a hitting slump, you know what he would do? 
bunt because the sheer connection of the ball to the bat restored his confidence. Now, granted, you run like Cliff Perry, you don't bunt very often because first base is like two miles down there, you know, and you're going to get thrown out three different people before you get there. But to me, I, I thought, here, here are some ways that we can bunt, if you will, and, and build confidence in, in your own desperation. Because if you are desperate to connect with your children, take 60 seconds, if they're out of your home, and give them a call. Don't tell me we don't talk anymore if you have a cell phone or have a landline phone. Or actually, write a letter. Reach out, take 60 seconds, and speak to them. If you're desperate to see your child walk with God, take 60 seconds and pray for that child. Now, I hope these are all bunts for you. I hope you're all hitting home runs every time I mention one of these. But if you're desperate to see your child find their way in the world through faith in Jesus Christ, take 60 seconds and show them the compass of our faith. Give them a verse, one verse. God loves you. Something that restores in them their focus and their heading to follow him. Those are all bunts, but they are ways to connect and build upon them. So desperate dad, the last one is, there you go, dependent dad. Dependent dad. Now, most of us don't ever want to say we're dependent on anything. I mean, when you're a child, yes, you are. I mean, Pierce and Karen have a little baby girl that is dependent for everything right now. And uh, Lila's less dependent, but still dependent, right? But I had already prepared this point this week, and yesterday I had an aha moment. I said, well, the preacher had an aha moment. <laughs> What's that? You know, well, Here it is. I talked with a friend, dear friend, who had just received some help from someone else on a project that he had. And he was appreciative of the help, but he revealed to me how much he cannot stand to ask for or receive help from others. And I said, welcome to the world of being a male. No, I didn't. And I, Because I do think men are the worst at it, and there are some women who are extremely independent as well and would never ask for anything. But I think our inability or our unwillingness to seek or to allow others to help us limit our potential in everything from our lives to our faith. Because sometimes when you ask for help, the person who responds may show you a better way to do what you've been doing. This comes to mind, I don't know why, uh, other than Nick and I have been dealing with gas tanks lately. My gas tank in seminary started leaking in my Corvette. Uh, yeah, I had a Corvette in seminary. so I mean, yeah. I've had a midlife crisis my whole life. But my, and, and the Corvettes were like a plastic inside of metal, so once they start leaking, it's kind of a problem. But in any event, I dropped it off. You know, those of you who know those kind of cars, the tire has to come off, the, the tank comes off. And my landlords were like in their 80s during the time I'm in seminary. And Mr. Mills comes out, Clarence Mills, who was about this big around, who had worked for GM. That's what he retired from, GM. He, and they never called me Cliff. Perry, let me help you. I'm like, 
get out of here, old man. You know, you don't know what you're doing. I'm 24 years old or whatever I was. I'm like, I can do this. I can hook it up there. Because it's impossible to get this thing held up and you're trying to get the straps back on. Because I'd put some JB weld on it. It was going to last like two days. But, you know, I had that up there. I was ready to get it, but I just couldn't get it together. And, And he goes, here's how we do it. He reached a rope down, grabbed it around the neck of the gas tank. I lifted it up, and he held it with the rope. Well, I put, so I, then my hands were free to put the two straps on. So sometimes somebody else with a different look at your problem may be able to help you. And guess what? When you're 80-some-odd years old and you can show a 24-year-old something, you get a blessing. And sometimes you have robbed other people of blessing you and blessing them by their, you know, the heisman you give them and say, no, I don't need your help. This desperate dad needed help. And you may find no one better, or you may not find anyone better in your life to give you help than Jesus. As he came to Jesus, he said, Jesus, I, I, I can't do it. My son's going to die. My baby boy is going to die. And he faces at this point when Jesus says to him, your son will live. I think that's like verse 50. Yeah, you may go. Your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word. That, my friends, is a dilemma of faith. Well, actually, it's the answering of it when you say he took him at his word. Because when Jesus said, your son will live, this guy has got some authority from somewhere, whether it be from Herod or from his own kingdom or just because he had money. He, He could have said, come on now, holy man, I'm dragging you to my house and you do your magic thing at my house and then I'll know my son's going to live. Or he could say, all right, I'll believe your word. And when I read this, and I've read this story, as you have read, I'm sure, multiple times, and I hate using the word story because these are accounts. When I read this account of this healing and I saw that he believed, he took him at his word, I go back immediately to John 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And I see the divinity in the word, word. And he said, I'll trust his word. I'll trust in God to take care of my problem. Now, where I told you earlier, I get wrapped around the axle in this text, is how he was able to trust that word so easily. Because I've already struggled with this. If he's royal, he probably had a horse. Or could have got access to a horse, right? I know you're a horseman too. Got another horseman up here in the front seat. Um, 22 miles on a horse, what? Three hours, four hours? I mean, downhill, I don't know. Fast? (laughs) Faster than walking for sure, right? So he could have got home really quick because when his servants meet him, it's 1 p.m. the next next day, and he says, when is he healed? It was 1 p.m., and so it's... I'm thinking, why didn't this guy run back? If there was a 900 feet change in elevation, I would have been running downhill the whole way to see what has happened to my son because Jesus told me he was going to be healed. And there I hit the brakes and I say, because he trusted him, he didn't have to rush back. Maybe it was night, you know, maybe he could only travel as far as he could and spent the night and they did the same and they met up the next day when it was light. But regardless, this man trusts Jesus and takes him at his word, the word of God. 
Now, are you dependent on the Word of God? Or is it just an occasional glance that you give to the Word of God? You know, we talked about, this is in the bottom section of all of the slides, with God, with others, and with a mission. I guarantee you the way you live out your dependence on God influences others, either for him or against him. By claiming that you follow him, people will notice how you do follow him. Your dependence on your faith on Jesus will influence your family, and that's what happened here. He goes and says, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. That's about 1 p.m. yesterday, right when you talked to Jesus. Then the father realized that this was the exact time in which Jesus said that to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. Your dependence on Jesus will influence your family. Yes, some will follow, and yes, some will still go astray. But if you do not live with dependence on Jesus, I guarantee you that will influence your children as well. There are many people who need to hear a good word from their fathers. Some of you had wonderful fathers, some of you not so much. And I stumbled across this guy this week, Rob Kennedy. Rob Kennedy, at the beginning of COVID, started, um, and if you want to read more about him, he had a terrible childhood. He said he got, his dad left him with his older brother when he was 14 years old because his dad had uh, remarried someone else, and dad had custody from, uh, originally anyway, and didn't give a lot of care to him, but left him with his brother, uh, and he said, I was raised there, had a lot of problems with anger, a lot of problems with my, you know, just relationships, and he said, so the one thing I wanted to do in my life, if, if I ever had children, was to be a good father, and he said, now those kids are grown, and I thought, that's one thing God has gifted me with, is being a good father, so he has a thing, and I got to make sure I get the right uh, tagline for it. I'm not going to play the video because uh, I didn't actually load it because I knew we'd be getting close on time. It is Google this for me. Not right now. Dad, how do I? And he thought, you know, I'll get 300, maybe 400 hits because like, how do I change the oil? Dad, how do I install a new uh, flapper in the toilet? And, and let me tell you how many followers he's got. Uh, I have it in here. I know it's millions. Now, he thought he would get 30 or 40 subscribers. Now he has 3.4 million subscribers and 15 million views. And not only does he give practical advice, you know, how to change a tire, he also talks about how to have good, healthy relationships and talks about how God loves you, because this man is a Christian, and how he would pray for them. And, and he said they have lifted him up in his uh, child, uh, you know, empty nest years. But today is a day that we say thank you to our earthly fathers. I challenge you to say how thankful you are to our heavenly father today. He loved you and continues to love you. He listens to you. He, if an earthly father will go off 20-some-odd miles one direction to find help for their son or daughter, how much more so our heavenly father will do for us? Our world desperately needs to depend on him.
And it only gives him a mere nod from day to day or even week to week. But we need to be dependent on his word. We need to be desperately in relationship with him. And if you'll only believe in Christ Jesus, I believe your life will change in so many ways, so many positive ways that people will know and be influenced by you because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. The Father's love. Accept his love. Believe in that love, for it will save you. Stand with me, please, as we pray. Lord, as we uh, come to a time now that uh, we'll sing a song and our prayer team will be here. Perhaps there's somebody here who's never felt the love of an earthly father, and it's perhaps even confusing for them to, con- to think that a heavenly father could love them for the things they've done or whatever. But, Lord, you love each one of us equally. And, Lord, we don't, we don't necessarily need to understand how you can love us. We just need to know that you do love us. We don't understand all the reasons that uh, things happen to us and tragedy strikes or even with parents, children don't do what they think that they should do. But Lord, you love us and you're so quick to forgive if we'll only seek your forgiveness. So in this invitation time, if there's someone who says, I, I, I've got things I need to leave on those steps. I need to come forward and, and kneel and pray or or stand and pray or just talk with someone to say, I want to be released of all the burdens that this world has piled on me. And Jesus says, take my yoke for it's easy. My way is it's. I'll take the burden from you, says your son. So Lord, in this moment, touch the hearts that are here. Let us be changed because of our relationship with you. Not just merely cleaned up on Sunday to be changed daily because we believe in a risen Savior, and His name is Jesus, and that's the name in which we pray. Amen.